Well, welcome to the Aglo Muskegon podcast. And this is our October, our eighth episode of the Aglo Muskegon podcast. And we're so glad that you could join us tonight if you're on Facebook Live. We are actually here and recording the podcast, not only with our special guests, but we also have a live studio audience with us today. And uh, this live studio audience is made up of facilitators and helpers and servants who have been a part of our six-week Women of the Bible series that we just concluded. And just to thank them, we had a little dinner together and a little fellowship, and they have agreed to come and participate in this recording. So... Before we introduce our special guest, we actually have a special treat for you tonight. We have some special music, and without further ado, here's Sherry and Jody.
That was absolutely beautiful. Yes, it was. The title of that song, People Need the Lord, I recognize, and that is certainly true. So, uh, as you are taking your seat, I would like to first acknowledge uh, Elena Gray, who is part of the Aglomuskegon leadership team, who's at the table with us today. And also, we have a special expert with us, Barb Dorsey. Barb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm not really prepared because she didn't tell me what she wanted me to tell you. So uh, I'm just going to shoot here. Um, God has allowed me through the years to uh, work as a psychiatric nurse for years, and I retired from Hackley. And during that time, I went to grad school, and I got enough papers, so they let me call myself a psychologist. And uh, so I, I retired from Gerber Hospital in Fremont, and then I taught at North Point Bible College, where I got to meet a lot of wonderful young people, and I would have group sessions with them and found out, wow, uh, sexual abuse permeated a lot of areas. And sometimes I would be seeing a person for anger issues or depression, anxiety, and I'd be seeing them for two years. And I remember this one lady especially, uh, she was just awfully, she was just mad and she showed it in a session and I thought, God help me to say the right thing. And so I leaned toward her and I said, who hurt you so? And she sat upright and she said, how did you know? And I didn't, you know, really. And then she, after two years, she finally started to share her story. So I just, I guess I'm thankful that I've been privileged to hear what's deep inside people and that they trust me. And, and I'm thankful to God that he gives me wisdom and I never go without him. So that's all I have to say. And then, thank you. <laughs> Our special guest with us today and also my house guest for the past three days, we've been privileged to host you and also to have you here at Central Assembly where you were able to give your, a little bit of your testimony and play your flute. Um, is my husband and mine, cousin, Jody Lynn Enders, welcome to the podcast. Now, I, I know that we're going to get into your story, but just tell us a little bit about you. Well, as she said, they're cousins, so it's so much fun to be back and interact with Shannon because I used to change his diaper and take care of him, take care of him when he's a little boy. That's my husband. That's her husband, yes. Yes. Um, well, I'm the very proud mother of two um, great children. My son is a JAG, he's a lieutenant colonel in the Army, and my daughter's an analyst at U of M. And I have five precious grandchildren that fill me with joy every day. And I say five because one is now missing, but I still include him. He went to be with Jesus a couple years ago. He was 12 years old when he passed away. Uh, flute is my passion. I play it every day, practice every day, even though I don't like to. But <laughs> I enjoy uh, playing my flute so much. But my heart's desire is to point the way toward forgiveness, hope, and healing for victims, survivors, and perpetrators as well. So that brings us to a little bit of the subject matter that we're going to be discussing on the podcast tonight. And we're going to be talking about a difficult thing, but it's something that you experienced and something that hurt you very deeply. And you mentioned your flute. I think that that was uh, part of your solace and, and part Definitely. of what brought you through yes. this whole ordeal, you are yes. a victim of 
childhood sexual abuse Correct. at the hands of your father. And um, I mean, obviously some of you are making some connections that touches my family as well. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a difficult thing to discuss, but you can tell us a little bit about what, what happened. My father professed to be a Christian and we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And we had to read our Sunday school lessons and memorize our Bible scriptures or we got disciplined very harshly. While he was professing to be a Christian, he was abusing me. My abuse started at age five. I don't remember this. Actually, Jody, we have a picture of you mm -hmm. when you were age five. And then I know yes. those in the studio audience can't see it, but they can see it later on Facebook. But those yes. who are following on Facebook Live can probably see that picture. Jacob's going to put it up for us. So my father abused me when I was five. I was actually in the bathtub with him as a little girl, and he made me touch him. I don't remember this, but he went to my mom and told her, and he said, I ask God to forgive me. And my mother being so naive, uh, and you didn't talk about incest back in those days. I never even knew what the word meant. She said, if God can forgive you, so can I. And then, of course, the abuse escalated. Um, from about age 9 to 13, my father raped me over and over again. And when I was 13 and missed my period, I thought I was pregnant with my dad's baby. And that's when the abuse stopped, because I told him that if he touched me again, I would kill him. I guess the biggest thing I think of when you think this person loves you, mm -hmm. and what was that like to have somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, that you thought loved you but on the same hand was doing those things over and over? Well, of course, as a little child from possibly age five through age eight, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't know. Of course, I had no way to know that it was bad. And my father constantly reminded him that you're daddy's special little girl, and this is our secret. So I thought it was okay. And of course, then as I got older and knew that it was horrible, um, my father said, if you tell your mother, it'll kill her. And my mother had been quite ill. She suffered a nervous breakdown. So all those years, my dad was trying to hide, and I desperately wanted to be found. Barb, any time you have anything to interject or? Well, most of you know we have a group here at church for ladies <clears throat> who are survivors of sexual abuse. And this, what you just said, remind me of what someone said last Wednesday evening. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, she said the same thing you said. I didn't know it was wrong until I got a certain age. Yeah. And then she said, I became afraid to say anything because I was afraid he wouldn't love me anymore. And so that was her take. And so it's so different for everybody to hear, hear you speak in here. So it's the individual's perception of the thing. And this lady has never married. And she's 60. But she, had, she didn't start working on her issue till about 10 years ago. So sometimes it takes a long time. Mm but I, I honor you, I think it's very brave to he, Healing to is, I'm sorry, healing is different for every mm -hmm. victim. It takes years, it takes a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. It's easier to run away and just pretend like it never happened. 
but anything that you, when you want a wonderful, marvelous outcome, you have to work hard at anything that you do. And it took many years for me to heal. It's a process, isn't it? It's a process. Well, and you shared your, uh, a bit of your testimony yesterday at church, and we told everybody that they would get to hear a little bit more if they tuned into the podcast. Um, for those of you who are here in the studio audience and want to tell your friends about it, and if you know anybody that could be helped by hearing some of the resources that are available for anyone who's suffering the after effects of this, um, you can find those uh, by visiting aglomuskegan.org, and you can listen to the audio there or on any podcasting app. It'll be available shortly after this live recording. Um, and, of course, the video in its entirety will be posted on Facebook at the Aglomuskegan page. So um, uh, those of the people who are here in the studio audience have written some questions um, a little bit later on. We'll, we'll go ahead and, and cover those. But. And also, if you're tuning in with us on Facebook, um, we invite you to ask questions as well because those are something that we can access and we'll be able to ask as well. So we want and we encourage that for sure. Um, there's also a... Um... <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> uh, when you were sharing your testimony yesterday in church, you were able to look out and then afterwards I was able to observe that there were a number of individuals who really wanted to come and talk to you um, because I think they felt a connection with you and I suspected that it might be because that some of them had um, suffered through some of the same things that you did or something similar. Barb, do you know any statistics about how prevalent this is? I mean, I know that Jody gave some, and um, we have a slide about that. But why don't you, can you address that a little bit? Well, the last time I checked, and which was when we announced shelter in church, which was a few weeks ago, the stats showed one in five. Um, and you and I were talking the other day about it, and I think perhaps they're skewed because I, of the reticence of people to admit or the shame they feel or That's the guilt or embarrassment. And it takes, again, courage. These are courageous women. Who, who share their stories, so I'm not sure. I, I don't think the stats are correct. Yeah, Jody, I think that you are an exception to the rule. I mean, you have found healing through your testimony. The Bible says we are all overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, mm -hmm. and I think that God has given, given you that testimony, and actually he called you to write about it, didn't he? He compelled me to write it, and his voice was so strong, I couldn't sleep. And that's why God knew he was going to call me. That's why I remember every detail of my abuse. And I, I wrote about it in my book. It's very graphic. Instead of saying, my dad touched me, like many victims do, which is, that's okay for them or survivors, I really wrote about what happened. Well, you were telling me this afternoon uh, about whether or not being graphic was okay in the book. And tell, tell me, tell us a little bit about your book, the title, and um, your endorsement. So, you know, when God's speaking to your heart, you know that feeling inside. Oh, go away, Lord. Stop. <laughs> Stop pestering me. But as I said, the voice became so compelling, I, I started. As soon as I said yes, people came from everywhere to help me. 
I was on staff as a music instructor at a very large Assembly of God in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, live TV. So when I would play a flute solo for offering, it was on TV. Dr. Gary Chapman was across the city, the associate pastor of a very large Baptist church. So I said to myself, hmm, I'm a new author on a very awful subject. I need a solid endorsement. So I went to his office and said, Trish, his assistant, I need an endorsement from Dr. Chapman. Now, this is a very busy man. You know who he is. She said, well, let me just see if he can talk to you right now. So he ushered me right into his office. What he said to me, he took the book home, the manuscript. He and his wife read it, and I came back the next day. And when I went into his office, he was crying. And I thought he was crying for me. I said, Dr. Chapman, God's healed me. I'm, I'm okay. He said, no, I'm not crying for you. I'm crying because shame on me. I haven't talked about this at my own church. He felt. He was heartbroken. And this new book? The new book, Daddy's Special Little Girl, will be published by Christian Faith Publishers at the end of November with Dr. Chapman's endorsement on the cover. That's wow. And uh, praise God, he has also given you a ministry to go along with it. Um, you've been invited to speak at Teen Challenges and churches, and yes. you're looking to continue on in that ministry. And Definitely. with this book, um, I think that your testimony will bring healing to others, and I, I thank you for that. I am, uh, you promised me that I could have a stack of your books on consignment that I could yes. make available. We were hoping, we were hoping that they would be published uh, by this. Be ready. Actually, that was, that was the word. That's why we pushed your episode out to October. But hey, God's timing is perfect. I am going to have some of those books available for the women of Muskegon who are interested in, in getting those. And um, we will make them available through Aglow Muskegon. We will make sure that we put details on the podcast notes and um, on the Aglow Muskegon Facebook page and website. We might even... Uh, I don't know if this is okay to do or not. Just uh, We sold t-shirts through the website. We might even be able to sell the, the books through the website as well. So I... Uh, it, Elena, you took the original book home and, and read it this last week. You were texting me all week saying, this is really hard. <laughs> Not because it wasn't well written. It was, it no, was very yes. compelling. Yeah. I think maybe I should, um, you might not understand I should say this. Uh, my first publisher, my book was published in 2003. That publisher is missing in action. And there's a class action lawsuit against them. So for me, as an author and launching a new ministry, I would have no way of, of buying books. So I had to get it republished. So. With a new title. Yes. And a new editor. and, and A new name. I put, this is my maiden name, Jody Lynn Anders. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but what's exciting about it, this, this new uh, Redo is kind of an upgrade because you're able to include some things like pictures. Um. Most importantly, all the letters my dad sent me from prison and the letter that I received from Uncle Kenny, Ken Enders, they have been scanned into the book and they're very, very extraordinary and very compelling. So your dad was brought to justice. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? In 1989, 
one of my nieces went to her parents and said, Pop-Pop did something really bad to me. So on that Sunday, my brother called me. I was living in the Ann Arbor area. And just out of the blue, all these years had passed. Did Dad ever do anything to you? So I spilled out the story as we both cried and sobbed. So he was convicted of CSC, child sexual conduct. But because of plea bargaining, he was only given five years of probation where he wasn't allowed to hunt, fish, or boat, or, or drink, you know, all those, uh, any of the sports. And he moved up north, far away from the family that loved him. He could do basically whatever he wanted to do up there. So I told my brother, I said, you know, is the probation officer checking up on him? And no one seemed to know. Well, I said, I think he, he's probably got another victim. Mm. So we did find out um, seven years later he was abusing the little neighborhood girl. I think she was three years old. She, she called him grandpa. She loved him, and my dad loved their family. This time he was prosecuted and sentenced to seven to 20 years in prison without parole, and he died in prison in 2003. So I think a question that I have, because I have a new son, and I think I was naive, you know? Like, how would I know, like, how would I know? How would I know how to, how to teach my son about these things? Or what would I say to him that would know that he could be safe telling me if this was to happen to him? Because I think of your niece and I think of this little girl and how important that piece of it is so that it doesn't continue. Um, do you have anything to share on that? Like, how you could encourage a little one or... Um, just to know that people know that you're the safe place that they could tell you? Well, several things. My family and I got together, and Dr. Dobson's staff actually counseled us uh, when my dad was, uh, and, and they said, you have to prosecute him and have him arrested. Um, but we prayed together and broke um, that you know, we broke the string of um, child abuse. None of us ever abused our children. We, we screamed and yelled at him and spanked him a little bit. But, and then secondly, I'm a nanny to a, t well, when I started, two, four, and six, and now they're three, five, and seven. Even my little two-year-old, when she was being potty trained, I told her, I said, you should have privacy. So she said, privacy, please. She knew that she needed to have privacy. And I told her, along with her parents, Nobody ever has to touch you unless mommy, unless you need help. Mommy or Aunt Jody or... So I think they understand so much more than we think they do at a young age. Mm -hmm. You know, in a, in a few minutes, I know that we have some questions that, that have been coming in that we want to answer. But we also want to make, make it clear that your restoration came not just from telling your story and it came not just from playing your flute although I know that those things helped very much and tell tell me where your strength comes from well first of all I believe that God gives us counselors and doctors to help us and I did have some counseling but basically what the Christian counselor did with me she just allowed me to talk through my whole childhood but for myself personally my, my healing came from God. I, I know that God healed me inwardly. And of course, when I started writing my story, 
you can know something happened to you and it's in your memory and you might not ever talk about it but writing it and then reading what you're typing it just explodes in your face wow I survived all of this it's it's a shock now, Barb, when you're counseling and you're using the curriculum Shelter from the Storm, what kinds of things help the people that you're working with? Well, they go easy. Go and, easy. Know, they don't come in at the first session and tell their story. You don't expect that. It takes time. It's a, it's a process. And, uh, and we have scriptures, and we have them on cards, and they can carry it with them each week. They have a new one each week and they can carry that. And it's something about God, you know, being their strength and he's going to make the way smooth for them. And it takes about to the eighth or ninth session and then we, we offer them to share details of their story. They, know, they tell us who, they tell us where, what, but the details, like you say, are graphic. And so that comes later and if they're not ready, we don't push. You know, so, but we do have prayer, of course, and we use scriptures. And the material is a really good marry of psychological truths as well as scripture, and it really works nicely. And you had mentioned working with someone who's just angry all yes. the time, angry all the time, and you came down, came with the question, "Who hurt you?" Mm -hmm. Anger is one of the manifestations. I mean, it's not. You don't just get over this so many times there are so many things that pop up in adult life, dysfunctions and problems because of it. What are some of those things? Oh, well, addictions, drug abuse, obesity, other kind of, you know, eating disorders, sleep disorders, depression, anxiety, uh, panic disorder. And one of the big things is over-responding. Like something might happen that you and I would think small, but if we've got this trauma in our background, something can just, we really, they over-respond, and so it causes a lot of problem with relationships. Trust is huge. It's hard for them to trust others and have good relationships. So it's lots of areas to work on, but God is good. Yes. Well, and you had shared with me, Jody, some of the things that it, it, it affected you in your life. Um, yes. And you were, you were very candid and forthcoming. You've heard that phrase, looking for love in all the wrong places. I just felt that I could only find contentment and love in the arms of another man. And I was brutally honest and exposed my own sin in my book. Um, I had affairs with married men, and I was single. Another thing, and you as a nurse will understand this, I, had, I was diagnosed with pelvic floor dysnergia. Oftentimes, victims of sexual abuse shut down from the waist on down. And this is going to sound terrible, but I couldn't go to the bathroom. I went to UNC Chapel Hill, and they hooked me up to computers to retrain my sphincter muscle to go down instead of up. And it took months. Mm -hmm. It was very embarrassing, but I was so glad that little things you take it for granted, when you can go to the bathroom every day, it's, it's big. And this was when you were an adult. Too. I was an adult. I mean, yes, yes. It's not just while the abuse is occurring. When I started writing the book, I, I just, I had always had problems with constipation, uh, but it got worse as I got older because I hadn't really been, I knew it happened and I thought, oh, I'm okay, but I hadn't really dealt with it. I was still in denial. I think there's somebody that has a question for you.
question is what are some of the best tools that have helped you deal with the consequences? Well, I, of course, my, my love for Jesus and my faith and trust in him, because I didn't have, my earthly father was an alcoholic and he wasn't a father. I learned in Sunday school that Jesus was my heavenly father. So even as a child and all of my life, I always knew that it's okay that I don't have a daddy because I have my heavenly father. And then music in our family, we all sang, played instruments, played the piano. And I would practice my flute for hours and play this little light of mine, Jesus Loves Me, all those choruses you learn in Sunday school. And I couldn't have figured this out, of course, but those words somehow penetrated my heart and my soul. This question is for the counselor. It says, what are some signs for an adult parent or guardian or grandparent to look for in their child if they suspect the child has been violated? That's a good question. I think change in behavior, definitely. Mm -hmm. The anger thing we talked about, uh, poor uh, performance at school, uh, not communicating. And also, uh, in my private practice right now, I have a, uh, an unfortunate situation where an older brother, 10 years older, abused his younger sisters and they were like six and seven, and it was found out, and so actually the parents reported it when they found it out, and so they have been going to counseling. So a thing to watch then, if a, if a girl has been abused young and then hits her puberty, that's when problems might arise because she knows things that most girls don't know, and they might exhibit behavior that's inappropriate for the age. So those are things to look for. And I just want to interject um, five siblings, all 11 months apart. My parents had seven children in nine years. The first baby was stillborn. But my mother always told me that I was kind of the party animal, um, always smiling, always laughing. But behind that smile and that laughter and that carefree grin was a little despondent child with the long pigtails. I, I felt, always felt ugly and like I wasn't as good as my friends and no self-worth. And we have another question. What spirit is behind the act of molestation and rape? Mm. I, I, I'm not sure I would have called it a spirit before, but perhaps there is, but I, it's the product of a fallen world. That's what I would say initially. Um, and actually, Pastor addressed some of that yesterday in church when he was asking you questions in front of the congregation. And we don't always know why things happen to people, but we know that God is omnipresent. And um, we are in a fallen world, and there is free will. And um, But in the scripture that... He used that God has promised to be with us. That scripture is from Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So 
There were times, though, as a teenager that I thought it was going to burn up. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, God yes. is with you. I, I always felt his presence, but, but because I was young, I would, you know, plead with him and cry out to him and please make it stop. Why, why are you letting this happen? You know, who can I go to? How can I make it stop? So, yes, we still have to go through trials and temptations, but when you look back especially, you see God was with you. I didn't get pregnant. Um, I didn't take drugs. I didn't become an alcoholic. I was promiscuous. But still, in all that too, God kept me safe. And even though God did not orchestrate this horrible thing that happened to you, now we can see how he is using it for the good and using yes, your testimony definitely. to reach other people and to minister in ways that never could have happened had you not walked through this. There, there might be lives that are touched, changed, and saved because of your courage, and I, I commend you for it. Now, I don't mean to under-spiritualize it. There, there are spirits, and, but it's... it's I wouldn't have named that spirit. It's it's sin. It's lust of the flesh, and, and you're. It's Satan. I mean, and, and your dad. It, it is hard. It is hard when someone is professing to be a Christian on Sunday, and and a seemingly truly repentant, and then continuing on in the behavior. Does anybody here at the table want to say anything about that? Well, you live in constant, I'm sorry, yes, go ahead. confusion and contradiction. And everybody in church, oh, Mr. Andrews is such a fine, upstanding church member. And of course, there are no, some Mr. Andrews that are upstanding, <laughs> fine <laughs> church members. Yeah. My father, John Andrews, uh, no one knew back then what was going on behind the walls at our house. We appeared to be the all American family. But as you know, back then, only until the mid-80s, and you would know this, incest was still considered a private family matter. It was not even punishable oh, by law. Yeah. And then in the mid-80s, the law was passed that if you even suspect that a child is being abused, you better report it or you may go to prison. Barb, I think you wanted to say something. We were talking about the spirit. Well, you were talking about those who abuse. And um, <clears throat> I, I don't treat those who abuse because I wouldn't give them a fair shake because I've seen the other side of it too much and so it wouldn't be fair to that person. And, but what I do know is that oftentimes it's some people have an inability, some men, and I think there are women abusers too, have an inability yeah. to have a relationship with a, an adult, an adult relationship. I also think it's, it's a mindset of I count, you don't. And so it's a dishonoring. It takes away the dignity of the person who's the recipient of the abuse. So it's Absolutely. a selfishness on the other person, I think. Yeah. Narcissistic. Yes. So uh, do we write these people off? No. Do we say, uh, God, strike them dead and send them to hell? I mean, we boy, want, we want somebody to. touched my kid, I might get a gun. Yes. No, God forgive me, I wouldn't get a gun. <laughs> and God would understand there are times when anger and hatred are justified. 
as a as a Christian who loves God so much, I didn't I didn't stay in that state of anger for very long because I I could see that it was harmful to myself. Forgiveness is not a gift to the perpetrator. It's a gift to the victim. That's right. That's good. Because my dad could no longer hurt me. My heart was set free. And I did forgive him, and I, I hope he's in heaven. I won't know until I get there. So. Barb, I know that in Shelter from the Storm, forgiveness plays a huge role in the yeah. healing. And we do it later on in the sessions. And sometimes it's a process, too. 70 times 7. It's not yes. instantaneous, huh? Forever. <laughs> yes, that's and then right. sometimes they have to write down, I forgive you for, you know, and make a list. And sometimes it takes yes. a year. Or you two. know, that's something. And God understands. That I did too. that with my counselor. And when I said, Dad, I forgive you, but I really didn't. But I said it in a counseling session. But I prayed, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Your heart will catch up with your words. Yeah. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. And, and some of us who have not experienced anything like what you have walked through. I have walked in your shoes and I read scriptures on forgiveness and I, I read commentaries on forgiveness and it seems so easy when the offenses are minor. You did not talk to me right and I forgive you. I mean, and I'm, I'm a big person because I can do that, but man, when I read your book and I think about the grace and forgiveness and love that your family had for your father mm -hmm. and extended to your father. I am amazed, and uh, it's, it's a good read. You're going to want to read this book, folks. When my dad was prosecuted the first time, the judge said in the courtroom, I have never seen someone who did such a horrible thing to his children and, and seen the love and forgiveness that this family has for their dad. And when my dad walked out, handcuffed, out of the courtroom, he told the judge, he said, I don't have a family. Because he, he felt like you had done him wrong by turning yes. him in. Yes, a lot of people. We had some relatives who wouldn't talk to us. One of my uncles, so angry. And I said, on the contrary to what you believe or feel or think, what we did took the most courage and love. Just... I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I know that that's right, and I know that God has said, if you forgive men, you will be forgiven. If you don't, you won't be forgiven. But, man, when I think about that, I think I just, it's opposite world to me, you know. You, yeah. Chime in whenever it you is. want to. Lisa, if, we don't, if we don't forgive, then that person still has power over us. Yeah, forgiveness True. is a gift to us yeah. more yeah, so person. than the perpetrator. Well, what, it's, it's maybe you know that phrase. What did I, I heard it the other day. It's like unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Yeah. <laughs> well, the anger feels strong and helps us feel strong, but really it's hurting us, like you say. And it took me many years to heal and finally say to myself, I really do forgive my dad. Now, was that um, the forgiveness? Did it come... <laughs> after, like, did he ever apologize? Was that ever even a thing? Or did you walk through forgiveness even without the apology? He didn't apologize to me verbally in the counseling sessions. By the way, my parents both had a court-appointed counselor, and they both went to the same counselor, and I had several counseling sessions with my dad. 
But in the letters that you'll read from prison, one of the things that stands out most is he said, man, I must have a king-size screw loose in my head to mess you and Tammy, my little sister, and mom up the way I did. And he, he did ask forgiveness in his letters. And, and I thought at the time maybe he's scared because, you know, you go to prison for many reasons. But if the inmates find out you abused, abused a child, I mean, they're going to kill you. So he said, when you write letters to me, don't ever put anything in the letters coming into the prison about what I did to you. Was there a portion of you that... I'm on Lisa's end of it where... Did you ever feel like that's what you wanted? Was that kind of revenge towards him because of how badly he had hurt you? Like, well, you deserve that in a way. Like, did you ever feel that way? I never felt that I deserved it. No, and I did him. Oh, like him. he deserved to have that type of punishment because of what he had done to you. Oh, there was no question about that. That was the law. And the Bible tells us as well, I don't have the scripture handy in my head, but obey the laws of the land. And, of course, Dr. Dobson's staff counsel us. He has to go to prison. But, you know, when someone tells you that and you have him handcuffed and taken away to jail, then you think, oh, man, my dad's probably going to die in prison. It's tough. I mean, it was heartbreaking. Many years of suffering, crying, grief, um, I shared with Lisa today when my husband and I, um, six years ago, went to the courthouse to get our marriage license. The man in front of us had Old Spice on. And I just started crying and had to run out of the courthouse Tell that man was gone. And even after he was gone, I could still smell it. Mm-hmm. When my dad would sexually abuse me, two, two things that I would smell, alcohol oozing from his pores, because he was an alcoholic, and that horrible mix of sweat and Old Spice. Hmm. You have more questions for Jody or for... Do you think that your mother knew that the violation continued after he said that he was sorry? That's a question that I get often and I'm only going to explain it to you how I feel because my mom was so sick for so many years she had all those children to take care of she had an alcoholic husband we lived in a huge house I could be making excuses for her Um, like I said she was sick on Thorazine Thorazine is a very powerful drug I don't even think they use it anymore unless you're in a straitjacket did she know possibly The court-appointed counselor said this to me, and she put this statement in my book. Nine times out of ten, the spouse knows. There's always that exception, the tenth exception. I believe your mother may have been that exception. And I've struggled with this for many, many years because I think to myself, I had a daughter and a son. I would know. There would be signs. I would know if someone was having sex with my little girl. I don't know. I want to believe she didn't know. It's painful to think about it. And What do you think? What you've chosen to do 
is is dwell on the forgiveness there. You have a wonderful relationship with your wonderful mother. I do. She's 91 going on 20. She's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's a wonderful mother and um, uh, supports us in prayer every single day. She does not come and listen to me when I speak. It's too painful for her. Mm -hmm. There could be many reasons for that, but I still honor my mother. I may never know. That's a I, I won't ever. With a promise. That's right. Yes. Honor and respect your parents. I, I may never know. But then I say to myself, but at this point, does it matter? I don't want to subject her to any more hurt by asking her, Mom, you knew and you didn't do anything. What would that, what's the purpose? So I just have to love her and forgive her and press on. It said, is there help for the offenders when they go to prison? Yes. Um, they do have psychiatrists that work in prisons and counselors. And uh, I have a, a lady psychiatrist, and I said, do you feel unsafe in, in prison doing work with people one-to-one? -one? She says, no, it's safer there, because number one, they have to come, and then you have guards outside the door. So, yes, they do get treatment. Are people who perpetrate sexual crimes against children rehabilitatable? It's a long process. It's difficult. The studies show it's difficult, but if they're wanting to and they, they know the Lord, especially if we can get God in the picture, you know, that, that really helps a lot. And some people do. Uh, receive Christ in prison because there's a lot of ministry going on in prison. So I'm hopeful for that. And, and you know what the scripture says, God can change the vilest sinner. And my dad did come to know the Lord and um, gave his heart back to Jesus in prison. Mm -hmm. And when he died, the chaplain sent us a letter and many, many dozens of inmates said, your father led me back to Jesus. I want to believe he was remorseful. Yeah. I can't. I can't judge him, I don't know, but God knows. Yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> Do you have another question for us? Not right now. Not right now? Okay. It's not too late. Anybody here who wanted to get up and, and ask a question may, you know, I just thought of something. We've, we've dwelled on you as a little girl who was a, a, a victim of this kind of a uh, crime or abuse it's not just girls no. we we often and with this me too movement we think of you know girls as the the victims of sexual abuse and it and i it's not just girls that are affected uh any comments about that barb oh yes um i think it's more difficult even for men to share their story mm -hmm. because of the shame and they feel emasculated, and they wonder about themselves, you know. Um, and uh, there was a happening around, it was in Fruitport many years ago, where uh, a group of boys were misused. And let's say they, su they suffered trauma. And we did get a couple of those young men, when they were men, who came into the hospital inpatient. And I remember one in particular, he had such a dear heart, and he was a big guy. And uh, he did cage fighting. 
because I think he had to prove himself, you know, that he wasn't, I don't know how he saw himself, he wasn't very articulate. But I know my husband and I, if you know my husband, he's, he, we went to a cage fight because <laughs> he was, he was going to fight. So I wanted to support him. And so my husband and I, I never went before or after, but I went to see this young man. <laughs> and he did get help and he did get better. But I do think it's, and we did have a group here at the church for a few years for men who had been abused. And we ordered the material, which have flowers all over the front. And they said, you're the only church who's ordered them for men. So they made us plain white covers with black writing. So that, that's what I have to say. It's difficult for men. More so difficult, if, I think. If we share this podcast, if, if, if the audience shares it or people hear it, um, later on, and it stirs some things, and people want to get help. We want to make sure that we uh, share information about how to receive help and healing for sexual abuse. Even if you happen to hear this and you are a perpetrator, we want to know, we want you to know that there is help for you as well. Um, I'm going to make sure that in the podcast notes, that um, we have some sort of contact information for Shelter from the Storm. And also, um, if you want to, email info at aglowmuskegon.org and say, I want prayer, I need help. We will try to connect you with the right people. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to say anything else? I mean, you had said earlier, like, give them my phone number. I'd, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll find out how to best connect them to help um, yes. without. You can do that. Okay. All right. Any other resources that you wanted to share, Jody? I don't think so. Okay. Um, there, I, should, I would like to um, add, at the back of my book, there are many facts, um, statistics, and resources. Also pictures of the Enders family and uh, the book, while it's a, a, a difficult story to read, is a compelling story and um, talks about some of the good times that this family had as well. Mm -hmm. um, and this is interesting. My cousin Shannon, we were talking yesterday, and he said, I loved Uncle John. He was always so nice to me. <laughs> it was a little bit... Hard we, for me to hear that. I mean, he was nice to others, but well, we talked about charm. Oh, being he charmed one of everyone. The, yes, one of the yes. ways that perpetrators mm -hmm. uh, and then he gained charmed, access to their victims. Charmed everyone, and then used them to fulfill all of his desires. And I'd like to also add for my brothers, I have precious siblings that I just adore. My dad did not sexually abuse them, but he beat their legs with a leather belt to their legs blood. And I and they sent to their rooms without dinner, and I always took dinner up to them. And my mother said, he's going to hurt you, he's going to hurt you. And I said, I don't care. I'm not letting my brother starve. You know, I, was, I would retaliate against him. Okay, well, we have time for another question. And then would you prepare somebody on the prayer team to come to the mic after this question so that um, we can pray before we close out tonight's podcast? It'll be just a moment, just a moment. One thing in addition to what Jody said about charm and, and 
with children, there was a question about how could I tell if my child might be in danger or something. If they talk about a person that's really good to them and brings some gifts, gives some candy, we call him the candy man. They may be groomed. So that's just a, a, came to my mind. Yeah, you know, and that's too bad, too, because I, I know some really great people who would love to have candy in their pockets for little kids, but that's misinterpreted these days, too. But. And, you know, another thing that I, heard, that I thought of that's very relevant um, to this story, my dad never spanked me. He would yell at me, but he never spanked me. But yet, he was abusing me. Hmm. Okay. Are you ready for the question? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> okay, this question is, the boys in my family bloodline have been sexually violated. All are adults now. One son is particularly is stuck in life. All the signs are ang anger, um, victim mentality. It does n he does not know when it started. No remembrance, but remembers acting out at a young age. What is needed, and how can I, as his mother, help? Mm. I, it'd be nice to have a little more information if he has had any therapy, you know, a healing therapy from a Christian counselor. Um, uh, the fact that he told his mother, is that right? Is that what you said? Now, so that's a, a big step for a, a young man. So I think to validate him what, what happened to him was wrong and it's not good and it's, it's a trauma, and, and then to try to get some help would be good. It's okay. hard for family to help. So Daddy's Special Little Girl is the title of the book that's going to be probably published at the end of November. Um, and what is it that you say you're not any longer daddy's special little girl? I'm his special little girl. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Somebody from the prayer team, would you like to come and pray us out tonight? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you first for your mercy, your caring, your healing, your protection, the way you deal with us with no matter what we go through. And Father, I pray right now for all of these people that have had these kind of situations. Anyone that's listening, Lord, tonight, that Father, they would... First of all, Lord, that they would trust you, that you've brought them to this point of their life to trust on you and to get the help that they need. Lord, I pray for this young man with the question too, Lord. I pray that the right ones would reach out and that, Father, you would heal these people. Lord, open up their hearts and open up their minds to trust, to, to bring it forward. And then, Lord, let your healing oil pour from heaven. Father, I thank you for... For these ones that, Father, are working in this type of ministry, Lord, to help and to be your hands and feet and mouth to, to bring these souls that are crushed and hurting to you. And you are the healer and the protector, Father. And we give you all honor and praise and glory. Thank you, Father. Amen.